The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. We had a good day today. We had a phenomenal meeting with the Republican senators. We had, uh, it was very special, that meeting. In many respects, I wish you could have been inside that room. It was very, very special. The camaraderie it was somewhat of a love fest. They want to see it happen. a love fest on Wall Street. You hear the music and you know what that means. It's Trump rally in full effect. More progress being made on the Senate side for the GOP tax plan and stocks went nuts. The Dow having its best day in nearly three months. All the major indices closing at fresh record highs. This despite North Korea firing another ballistic missile. For those keeping score at home, that caused about an 80-point drop in the Dow for about 13 seconds. <laughs> There's also a concern about a government shutdown or whatever. Since the election, the stock market has added $4.6 trillion in market cap. So is today proof that taxes are not priced into the market? And if so, do you drown out this noise and just keep buying? Guy. Well, I think taxes have been priced into them. I think tax reform has been. I think that's the slow ramp up you've seen. The Russell's outperformed the broader market significantly. I would suggest that's in anticipation of this. But to answer your original question, yeah, you got to stay with it. And we addressed this last night. I still think they're going to ramp something through. Obviously, a lot closer to that happening than we were 24 hours ago. And I think that's what the market's reacting to. Is there bad news out there? 100 percent. But you mentioned North Korea fires a missile. We don't bat an eye. And then President Trump makes a comment that we, we will handle it which is somewhat cryptic but somewhat ominous, and the market doesn't seem to care. So to answer your question, full speed ahead for the market. It yes. was like, oh, it's okay because it didn't land on land. It landed in the water. So, you know, it's all good. Right. keep buying. Yeah. So, so the market, to your point, the market, you said 13 seconds or yeah. 13 minutes or whatever, whatever the uh, short amount it's of time. A short amount of time. <laughs> so the, the amount of time is, is shorter in duration, and it's less deep every time we mm -hmm. sell off. Is it priced in? I don't know. Doesn't really matter if it's priced in or not because today you had it, you had your bet whether it was Powell and that was going on around Wall Street. Every different text was: Is this Powell or is this tax reform? And who cared? It was it was 50-50. I, I would say. Powell had some very bullish things to say. That's what got the financials going. Those were the ones that led. But then when you saw that extra leg up, it was good for about 10 or 12 handles in the S&P when you saw tax reform was starting to get some yeah. critical mass behind it. So it, does this set up for a sell the event? Maybe. But right now, I think the market still marches higher. Yeah. So the, the, the capital lunch bromance that was, you know, talked about by President Trump is something that I think actually is part of this, too. I mean, so you had Susan Collins come off the fence. Right. You had Bob Corker come off the fence, Ron Johnson. Johnson. These, are, these are folks that were providing opposition. And obviously, this is significant for, for tax, certainly in terms of the Senate Budget Committee passing the bill. You automatically get Corker and Johnson on board. Susan Collins comes at lunch and says, you know what? I feel pretty good about all this. And I think that plays into more agenda on the legislative side. Suddenly, if, if the ah. team that can't fly straight suddenly can fly straight, maybe we're in a good place. What Steve's pointing out with, with regard to Powell also, 
He elicited some stuff to me that kind of blew my mind in terms of how he talked about the non-participation rate of, of prime-aged men aged 34 to 52 or whatever that number is. But the point is that this is a guy that's looking for reasons to talk about how inflation isn't anywhere uh, in the picture. And it was a Fed that was even more dovish today right. than I think even Janet Yellen has been of late. And that's a great combination so, for the market. It, this is almost like uh, nirvana when it comes it's to the stock right. market. I mean, we've got a dovish incoming Fed chair who may be lower for for even longer than we thought originally, mm -hmm. and we have potential tax, and we have potential runway for more yeah. legislative agenda, like right. the infrastructure. And we have an economy that's sort of picking that's up decent steam. On its yeah. Own. yeah. I, I, I'm sort of, I think the market is clearly pricing in some amount of expectation of, of tax reform, right? So that's already in there. I do actually think we'll get something, even if it's watered down. I think they, it's a must, must win, so I think we'll get something. I'm wondering about Steve's point of do you sell the news? If we actually get tax reform, uh, it would go, obviously it would depend on how high the market trades on that. But for right now, I'm just kind of I'm not inclined to to sell anything right now. Anything. I wonder if yeah, you not have inclined a, to do I, it. Nor buy. Yeah, if a healthy <laughs> amount of this too is think about where all the gains have come from for, from these mega tech, mega cap companies, and no one wants to lock in these profits. So everyone kind of sits on their hands But they now. didn't do well today. Fang did yeah. poorly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but everyone kind of sits on their hands and wonders, because there was a lot of short covering. And it was a lot of short covering specifically in the retail space. We Names like JCPenney, names like Dillard's, uh, th those uh, type of names. But I wonder what kept us here and what kept the market on a roll is this small amount of names that no one wants to sell because they have outsized gains in. I wonder if then it comes to a critical mass in January or so. Good point, because I think this is where the market, at least we're Talk, we've talked about the lack of breadth of late, you know, something we hadn't had talked about in nine months or so. We talked about the new 52-week lows that are being made mm -hmm. seemingly every day. I've certainly talked about Lake Placid with the little duck uh, underneath paddling furiously. But if you think about financials, went bananas today. Automatically, oh, yeah. we're back at uh, XLF is back at all-time highs again. Bank of America, almost another 4% day. That's two 4% days in the last two weeks. Uh, you have retail, which I think is more than short covering. And again, when you have a Macy's buying back debt and showing that their balance sheet is better and showing that their inventory are better. I think you're having the culmination of terrible expectations and perceptions in a sector where actually I think this year is a lot different than last year. So there are reasons to hold on. Well, I think right there are places here. to play. I think yeah. there are places to play that you don't necessarily have to be going for big cap tech, which sure. understandably is defensive because of the capacity you can put to work. There's no question you're getting growth. and you know, There's no question you're getting companies that are disrupting other companies. But Stephen Karen bring up a good point in terms of today's underperformance was most notably in big cap technology. And if we are going to see this sort of rally, whether it be 50 percent, Jerome Powell, 50 percent, the prospect of tax, you see this large group that has had outside gains underperform the market. And you start thinking, should I start taking off? Should I be putting into the groups that outperform today, like financials, like industrial? I think that's a lot of what happened. You know, Steve made a good point. Facebook underperformed, Amazon. Yeah. But, you know, let's, let's, one day, let's not make a huge sure. deal out of it. I mean, they could all catch up tomorrow in a major way. But I think it's worth noting. What also is worth noting, it's not a big deal, but VIX actually closed above 10 today. It closed slightly higher in the day. Not a big deal. I just mentioned it because it's worth mentioning. But to Tim's point, you know, I think the financials continue to ramp higher here. There, there's, as we get towards December, the seasonality of this market <clears> kicks in, and unless something, un listen again, North Korea is firing missiles. The market does not bat an eye. I took it up to 10:30 on that missile, which is remarkable. It's, 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 yeah, that is remarkable. Right.
Stay with it. Well, and so there's a couple things. As far as banks go, I think you have the most defensible uh, or defendable valuations and, and certainly balance sheets. But again, you had Powell today making it known that he's absolutely fine where regs are on the banks on mm -hmm. a day when there's obviously a lot of heated discussion in terms of consumer protection, and we can get into any of that. But, but ultimately, I think banks really have a place to go. You have also a place where I, I think you've got uh, retail stocks where the valuations in some cases are horrendous, actually. On a trailing basis, these guys aren't making money. Uh, but when people want to start to look back at reasonable valuations for a sector that no one thinks is doing anything, these are places I think can continue to run. And technically, by the way, a couple of them are well through 200-day now. You're, you're actually Macy's through the 200-day since right. a year ago on the upside, which is something that tells you there's been a change in character. Plus, we have a, you brought it up today uh, earlier on today, the OPEC meeting. This is something where we have retail and now we have energy. That has been two of the biggest laggards in the marketplace. Divergence is really now, interesting today exactly. in terms of oil and the stock. Exactly. So you haven't really seen any any quick pop in oil, but if OPEC does extend and that's pretty much factored in, is what they're saying, another nine months, maybe you could see that move in the uh, in the overarching commodity. All right. So as the market source of record highs, there's one group of economically sensitive stocks that our next guest says is still a buy ahead of tax reform. Let's go off the charts with the one and only Rich Ross of Evercore ISI. Hi, Rich. Hi, Melissa. Thank you. Look, lower yields, a flatter curve. Relax, Guy Adama. Your two tens. The market on fire today. Financial surging. Banks up big and small cap stocks coming up huge. Let's start with the Russell 2000, the IWM here. Look, it's been a frustrating year for the little guy. You've been mired in this very well-defined trading range, if you will. You can see it here. Now, we do break out coming out of the summer, but once again, we grind lower. We sort of give it all up, but importantly, we test and hold that break point, and that has set the stage for an extension of the advance that you saw today with the Russell outperforming the S&P. There's a lot of room to close that gap. Now, let's zoom in on a sector which has been trading along with the small caps, the financials, the banks, all part of that bigger Trump trade along with the transports. Once again, Again, yes, absolutely, up 2.6% today. You outperformed by 160 basis points in the financials. But it's been somewhat of a frustrating ride along the way. You've actually underperformed the S&P relatively, up about 15.6% year-to-date on the financials versus 17.3-ish for the S&P. However, once again, that gap can close here. This move is the start of something special. This trading range breakout, that's going to provide the launching pad to close that gap of relative underperformance. And one stock we continue to like here, J.P. Morgan. Let's go for the big boy here. This is a very long-term chart. We go back to the Wayback Machine here, and you can see 20-year base of support within the context of that base, the textbook, double bottom, and, of course, the bullish flag that we like. It's one of our favorite continuation patterns. I think this stock trades 120. I'm a buyer of the banks, the financials the market more broadly, and J.P. Morgan. So still a lot of room, a lot of runway here. And keep in mind, this is without yields and the curve doing anything. He had me at start of something special. <laughs> so he's going to come on over. Come on over, Rich. Heidi's going to bring the chair in. Thank you, Heidi. Look, she's blushing. Um, <laughs> Excellent work from the chair. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So you're talking about financials. We were talking earlier about this notion that perhaps there could be a rotation in store. We saw tech underperforming. Do you see that in the cards? 
I don't see that rotation. Look, we've talked about that sort of mythical rotation all mm -hmm. year, and where are we? Tech's still leading the charge. Yes, we underperformed today. The Nasdaq up about, what, 20 basis points versus that surge we talked about in the financials of the markets more broadly. But to suggest that we've seen a bigger shift that started today, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. We're still talking about a flatter curve, yields which can't get out of their own way, neither of which are supportive of, of the banks really outperforming that tech and that growth trade more broadly. All right. And in terms of the banks, what we saw today also during the Powell um, testimony and, and Q&A session is that the regional banks really outperformed. Do you see more relative strength compared to the big banks? You like J.P. Morgan, though. Yeah, I think you can get a little more bang for your buck because clearly they've lagged even more dramatically when, when you look at that KRE, the regional bank ETF, versus the BKX up about 10% year-to-date. So the small guy, a stock like Zion's on the verge of a pretty compelling breakout here. But once again, it's part of that bigger theme of large outperforming small. So to suggest, once again, that the small cap banks are ready to sort of outperform the bigger guys, I'd still stay the course here. You can still make money. You can still outperform and generate alpha in those big banks. J.P. City, Morgan Stanley, B of A, that's where you want to be. Rich, you remain at the zenith of, of, the, <laughs> of the smart board. Of the a, lot of, a lot of people of your ilk talk about the potential for a blow-off top. Does anything suggest this is the beginning of that sort of capitulation buying towards the end of a cycle? Well, I think we are far from the end of this cycle. In fact, I think that we're about halfway through a move to 3,200 in terms of time and price. In the short term, could we be building towards some sort of year-end exhaustion, which we have seen in this period of strong seasonality? Of course, there's always those potential. Trees don't grow to the sky unless, of course, it's made of Bitcoin. That being said, <laughs> I think there's plenty of upside for the broader markets here, and you still want to be a buyer of weakness. All right. Um, speaking of financials here, thanks, Rich. We've got some breaking news in the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Let's get to Kayla Tashi. Kayla. Melissa, a judge for the D.C. District Court here handed a win to the Trump administration and Director Mulvaney, who will remain director of both the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the Office of Management and Budget. Judge Timothy Kelly here in D.C. weighing in just moments ago on this temporary restraining order filed by the Deputy Director Leandra English. The judge denying that restraining order and on the merits of the case that the restraining order was filed with, where she tried to say that the administration didn't have the authority to install Mulvaney. He said, you're not likely to win on the merits of that case, but there's a separate process uh, for that, we should note, Melissa. If the Trump administration were to have its way, it would install a permanent director as soon as possible, which would render that entire lawsuit null. Uh, but the district court judge who was appointed by Trump took the bench in September, handing a win right back to the administration and saying that Mick Mulvaney can remain the director of the CFPB. Melissa? All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche uh, with that news on the CFPB. And this would line up with this notion that the Trump administration is for further deregulation here. This is a man, Mick Mulvaney, who has said in the past that he does not agree with the mission of the CFPB. So yeah, and, can we sort of draw a line between this and what's going to go happen with the banks? Well, I, again, I think you can draw a line with everything that we heard from the Fed chairman today from what we've heard over the last couple of months. I, you know, it's, it's a shame that we don't believe in the Consumer Protection Agency because I actually think that, you know, there's certainly been some clear-cut poster children. I, but I don't, think they're, saying, I don't think that they're well, saying necessarily they don't believe in it. They're just saying that they want to do away with needless regulation and go with smarter regulation. I think that's... Look, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but I need, think the talking points smarter the regulation, headlines... It, it, it's, it, and and I, by the way, I, I, I don't think banks... Um, 
need to be overly regulated right now. I actually think that the banking sector has been pulled in a lot. The balance sheets have never looked better. I think you have an environment right now where it got too predatory against the banks. So, I mean, I, I think we're probably the saying same the, the same, thing. same thing. We're saying the same thing, but you could say the same thing with the consumer protection agencies, that people that know that are, in, that are weed deep in this understand the inner workings. And, and when you start talking about micro and granularity of it, it was overreaching. And that's what I think the Republicans and Donald Trump are saying. Yeah. Um, but back to uh, what we were talking about, Rich, uh, in terms of the strength of technology. Are there individual issues here that you're concerned about at all of the big caps? Not overly so in the short term. And I think the price action in the stocks is reflective of a very strong technical background and probably fundamental backdrop as well. You don't have to apologize for buying FANG stocks. You know, we're all a little tired of the acronym, but there's no problem with buying strength in a, in a bull market. Stocks like Adobe, stocks like Facebook, Amazon. Keep in mind, Google, Facebook, these are stocks that consolidated in sideways fashion for some time, and they're just now emerging. There's another leg up here in technology. So once again, don't be scared of strength in a bull market. Embrace that strength. Buy new highs. Don't, don't Doesn't that mean that highs. you can't buy the IWM? Doesn't that mean that it, it's, it is a zero-sum game? There is an underperformance. And if you don't think there's going to be rotation out of large I sold tech. some today. If there's not going to be a rotation on large cap tech, then how does IWM run? I think in a short, over a short window of time, you could see technology being used just on the margin. Look, think about last December when we had mid-teens type declines in stocks like Amazon, Facebook. That money was put to work in the Trump trade. You didn't see it today. Tech held its ground. I think that's more of what you're going to see. Just quick, you sold IWMs? I sold some IWMs. Look, they, they've run 14% since the lows of August when we started sprinkling tax. You yeah. can't tell me this isn't in the price. Small caps are the most expensive part of the market. You know, I'm not, I'm not running in front of a ship here. All right, Rich, thank you. At the zenith, whatever you want to say about him. Pinnacle. All of that. <laughs> thank <Zenith>. you. Parthenon. <laughs> Still ahead, the hottest IP of the year is showing no signs of stopping, but could jumping on the Roku bandwagon be a dangerous trade? Guy Adami will break it down. Plus, shares of Twitter are about to do something they have never done before. We'll tell you what that is and why it's got shareholders so excited. And later, Arby's buying Buffalo Wild Wings for more than $2 billion. So which fast food combo could be next? The traders play a game of matchmaker later this hour. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter celebrating a major milestone as the stock tracks for its best year ever, up more than 30% year-to-date. If these gains hold, it would mark the company's first positive full year since going public. So is Twitter finally learning to fly, Grasso? I'm still long a portion of the stock, and I, I, I hold out hope after hope after hope. And this year, obviously, for everything that you just stated, seems to be the one that we're all waiting for. But a lot of that, mar a lot of that margin increase has benefited from cost uh, reductions. And, but when you look at monthly active users, daily active users, it is a positive trend, with, at least with daily active users. I don't think they're out of the woods. Cost cutting is not a way to growth. They have a lot of work ahead of them, but I am still long with Yeah, but I, I think it's a case where if, if you think about how the media world is breaking down and we've seen media versus distribution, I mean, mm -hmm. Twitter's the ultimate distribution play. And, and they're now in a place where they're actually been much more flexible, whether it's 140 or 280 in characters. Uh, I, I think the worst is over in terms of people being overly concerned, and that's a bit of a stretch by saying overly, uh, that their audience isn't growing at an extraordinary rate. In fact, their audience has been largely flat. Uh, but the engagement in continues to grow. Uh, and I think the value of Twitter in the media space has never been higher, uh, obviously, as evidenced by our president. So, and I mean, I think a great distribution are, platform if the audience is not really growing? I think the, if the audience is more engaged than ever, it's about, yeah. once again, figuring out how they monetize this. But the engagement, to me, is not falling off at all. Right. Yeah. Does, it, does it help that Jack Dorsey is 
out of the woods over at Square. I mean, Square is the greatest thing since sliced bread right now in the market in terms yeah. of investment. Doesn't hurt. I, I guess it doesn't hurt. I mean, I don't know. You sort of wonder. For me, it's not about the, the active users growing. It's about monetizing. Mm -hmm. Are they finally at a turning a corner in monetization? I don't know. Just because it's up this year, that, that wouldn't be enough reason to, to get me to buy it. Just think about it. They have to invest. You have to invest to move forward. So this was a great year. The story was cost-cutting. But now you have to invest and make the product better. And with investment comes expenses, comes deteriorating margins. So like you just said, a one year does not make, uh, make it for the stock. Go back to the third quarter, end of October, they reported it was a $17 stock. I thought the quarter was actually pretty good. We discussed it that night. The stock ran up to tw almost $22 on pretty significant volume. Remember having a conversation, time to take profits in Twitter. That proved to be correct if you look, because within a week or so, it was back down around 19 it's recaptured that now, which to me is sort of telling you something. So I think Twitter looks really good setting up for the next year. I don't think they ever should have talked about monthly average users, daily active users. Google doesn't do it. It's the wrong metric for them. It's about engagement. And now to Steve's point, it's about how do you monetize. And I think they might be on the other side of this thing. Still ahead, fast food, fast profits. We'll break down the deal between Arby's and Buffalo Wild Wings. Plus, the traders will give their picks on which restaurant chain could be bought out next. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. It's the that's what some investors are saying about a number of stocks. So if you're concerned, we'll show you how to spot a bubble in your portfolio. Plus, something is wrong with the Chinese stock market. Antidote to what? The poison you just drank. And it could spell trouble for stocks here. We'll explain what we mean when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another wild day for Roku. The stock hitting a new all-time high before pulling back, ending the session lower. Breaking down its roller coaster move is a man who's been known to take a wild ride himself, Dom <laughs> Chu. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, if you're looking for another roller coaster ride, a candidate might be Roku stock. Now, it's already one of the best performing IPOs of the year, going from its offer price of 14 bucks to nearly $52 earlier today. The quick and dirty math is, yeah, 250% return over that amount since September 28th. But it hasn't come all in a straight line. The trend has definitely been higher, and we have seen, though, around four distinct drops of at least 15% during this two-month trip to post-IPO highs. But there might be a good explanation for why the speedy rally happened. There are a lot of bets against Roku stock, relatively speaking. Short interest as a percentage of float stands at 47%. That's according to FactSet. That puts it in line with stocks like RH, Restoration Hardware. And we know the kind of run that RH has had so far this year. It begs the question, when will the fuel for the rally run out? Short-selling research firm Citron actually put out a pretty colorful tweet about their thoughts earlier today. They say, quote, Time to pop some real bubbles. Roku, total joke. Citron trusts Mark Mahaney at $28 price target, and that is if they can hold comp back. Today's Needham research is irresponsible unless Roku finds a way to stream a Bitcoin. This stock is much lower, caveat emptor. Now, Melissa, Roku is not a widely covered stock by analysts, but the handful that do have targets have an average one of $31.60 per fact set. That's way below current levels. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Dom. Citron really used that uh, expanded tweet, tweet field <laughs> very well. Um, putting that all aside in terms of the short interest, though, this is 
one of the only, if not the only, pure play streaming play. And this is sort of the other side of the coin if you believe that a lot of the media stocks are having trouble reaching audiences because of skinny bundles and cord cutting, et cetera. Roku is your play, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it's certainly one of them. And again, this is the whole point, though. There's an enormous amount of competition in this space. And, and granted, these guys um, certainly do have a leadership position. They certainly have grown at an extraordinary rate. They had decent numbers last quarter. In fact, they were very good numbers, and they grew over 90%. The problem is that some of management's guidance indicates that they're going to grow about 28 29% in the third quarter. That's already down from 40% in the second quarter. Um, it tells you that at some point there's there's a valuation that makes sense. And I think that, look, that's, that's what the short sellers are saying. There's a valuation that makes sense. Yeah, the short part is critical to the story. 47% Yeah, just for, <laughs> just for information, I tried to get a borrow today just to see how expensive mm. it was. Earlier in the day, it was available. By the end of the day, no more at any price. So probably at some price you could find it. But to, so to me, that's such an, another level of risk to owning something. I, it, I, would make, I mean, a great place to be in terms of where, you know, the product, but and it, you do stock. have you, know, you don't have a moat around this product, and you have competition. So yes, it is the only direct play, or, or one of the few direct plays when you look at streaming and over the top. Mm -hmm. But when you look at who their competition is, Google, Amazon, Apple, there's Netflix. a lot of there's Netflix. A Netflix. There's I mean, a lot of competition with very deep pockets. But they don't have the exposure or the risk to content like the others do. All right. Well, as Dom had mentioned, short seller Andrew Left said Roku shares were in a bubble. If that were true, how would you be able to tell? So Guy over here has got three classic warning signs of a dangerous trade, sort of a PSA, if you will, for all you home gamers out there. So, Guy, why don't you Thanks, head Guy. over to the plasma yeah, and share the more, it with The us. more you know. Well, thank, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Tom. Tom Chu just does a wonderful he job, doesn't he? He like no other. Well, <laughs> see, not, if you just look at one of these, it's not going to work. You have to look at three of these as a group. So let's look at them now together. Signs of a bubble. Well, Dom mentioned it. I would suggest short interest greater than 20% is one of the warning signs. Why? Because you can get these big moves. Next point is, outsized move from prior high. If you get a move of 15 to 20% on the upside in a three to five day period off a prior high, that is a warning sign with the 20% or more short interest. The final sign for me, heavy trading volume. What does that mean? In addition to the first two, if you see a day or two days where your stock trades anywhere from five to eight times normal volume, that is a suggestion that you have a buyer's capitulation. The shorts have covered. All the quote-unquote suckers have now gotten themselves long, and the stock might be setting up for an intermediate to long-term top. Now, again, we've seen this before where stocks can go sideways for a period of time. But if you get these three things over the course of a week or so, and you've enjoyed the move to the upside, I would suggest it's time to pull the ripcord and you're in the danger zone. So pull the ripcord on this. In the Roku? In the Roku. Well, let's take a look. Do the, do the stars line up? Well, as a matter of fact, they do. Look at what we've seen. We've seen a, almost a 25% move from a previous high over about a two- or three-day period. We've had tremendous volume in Roku over the last couple days. And as Dom pointed out, you have ridiculous short interest. So the three things that I just brought up all exists right now in Roku. Not to suggest the stock can't grind itself high over the next couple of days, but if you've had a move like this and you've been long the stock, if you don't take money off the table, at this point, you're just gambling. All right. The more you know. The more you know, Melms. Yeah.
Thank you, Guy. Come on back over to the desk. I'm coming back. Very, yeah, I'm inviting you back. Zenith. Very cogent um, insight. I mean, so I don't know. I'm just going to walk around. And... Do you know how to walk back here? Well, I don't want to get in front of your camera. <laughs> oh, hey, down so in front. Hey, a question oh. here. Come on, right, Guy. Let's play a little game of what we are calling trade or trap. We did Roku with Guy. And so let's do some other names that have run too far too fast. So if the stock is a trade, it has more room to run. If it's a trap, then it's going lower. So uh, let's start with Square. So this one, if you look at the criteria, it's only a 13% short interest, so there's no check on, off of that on the, on the box. It did have a, a pretty aggressive run as of late when it started to be com uh, compared to our way of playing Bitcoin. So it ran up about uh, 40%, basically. Uh, you know, it depends on where you want to chart that from. It's given a lot of that back. So I, I would say greater traps, Dave. Yes, trade. Come on, trade. I'm still trade. Long, I'm still long the name. I think it's the Bitcoin's out of greater it. Greater traps, Dave. It's still a trade. I think it's still a trade. Wait. Trade. Trade. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. Karen. All right. Do I have to pick trade for one of them? Trade, or could they all or be? They could all be traps. They could all be traps. No, no, they could all be all trades. Right. They could all be traps. Well, of the th for me, Square would be the trade. Be the, trade. the other okay. two traps. Roku, yes. and we're going to get to Tesla. Karen jumped the gun. That's all right, Karen. Oh. Sorry we're excited about that. About that. <laughs> Which one am I on? Well, after I'm really thing, I wanted to just get it. I know. I know. Nobody's I been know. playing the game. Like, either somebody figure. doesn't want to play the game, somebody wants <laughs> to play the game right Go away. Figure. It's like, yeah. I can't get anything I right always play the game. All right. So let's do Square again, Tim. Square's a trade. Uh, All right. Guy, can I just quickly, Guy pointed out technical <laughs> reasons why you want to Fundamentally is the other reason. Things get into a thematic basket. They become a secular trade. It's about valuation. Square, at least, I think we can stay with in terms of the thematic. Trader trap guy square. Well, square actually, you know, Steve's right about the short interest, but in terms of the outside move, you saw that, and you saw it also that huge volume. And on that day that mm. we mentioned, the stock went up to 50 all-time high, closed down nine and a half percent. That's a pretty classic buy-side capitulation. I happen to believe in a square story, which suggests trade. So I will say, in this case, trade. Clean sweep, trade mm. across the board for square. Now let's progress and go mm -hmm. to Tesla. Tim, trade or trap? Trap. Yeah, I mean, right you know, I've been pretty clear about this one. And again, I think it's because people believe too much in a thematic element of a company that's not earning money and burning cash. Karen? Yeah, I would go with trap. But can I just add one other sign? Yes. Time Magazine cover. Mm. Has oh. really, at times, been a very mm. excellent contraindicator of yes. the pinnacle of Zenith. frothiness. Right, Zenith. right, right. <laughs> Parthenon, Parthenon. whatever you want to call it. Parthenonic. Parthenon-esque. Yes. Um, aggressive? Both. What do you mean both? Trade, because trade it, and because trap? Because it's been both a trade and a trap. <laughs> no, no, and right here, right, right now. Right now, it's right a trade. Right here, right now. Right now, it's a trade. Trade. Right here, it's a trade. trade. Up to what? So now, now you're going to make me get wordy. <laughs> no, so, I'm asking so you right for, now, for right details. Right now, I, I need this. This is a trading element, but it is a trade. So $325 is probably where you get your resistance level in this name. If it breaks through that, then it's, then it's a di No, no, no. That's where you define whether you go all in. He right wasn't now, kidding about viable. being wordy, by the way. Right? See, she pulled me in. It was very binary. Only yourself. It was either really only yourself to really blame. Just giving us a level. Trade. It doesn't fit the criteria that I mentioned up at the smart board. So in my in my world, if I'm consistent, it's a trade. Hmm. Except it for except like for Square, you allowed it to be a trade too, and it didn't fit your criteria. Because I said I believe. Sorry, Q-tip. Okay, <laughs> we're really off the yeah. rails here. I, mean, I, mean, I don't we're know totally what you guys the had in the green room tonight. Can't wait to do this game again. Yeah, that's never <laughs> that's happening. <it. laughs> yeah. So it's a trade. Tesla's a trade. It, 
Tesla's a $315 stock. Yeah. This, if we had played this game a month and a half ago when BK was talking about a double top, sure. we have a different conversation. Yeah. But no, you have not seen an outside move to the upside over the last yeah. week or so because it's trading 320. The all-time high was 385 about a month or so it's ago. Well, defensive trade. down there. Right. No, not at all. I'm just trying to express right, myself enough, there. That's fine. Still ahead. High-flying Chinese internet stocks taking a hit over the last week. These have been some of the hottest trades this year. So did any of the traders buy this dip? Plus, Wall Street's going bonkers over Bitcoin as a digital currency. It's another all-time high. And after you hear what the incoming Fed chair nominee said today, you might be tempted to buy as well. Ooh. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chinese market starting to show some cracks, but could this be your best chance to buy? Our Bob Bassani is at the NYSE to break down these big moves. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Emerging markets have had a strong year, but the biggest emerging market of all, China, very mixed performance. Take a look. Hong Kong-based companies have had a good year. The Hang Seng's up over 34%. Mainland Chinese stocks, depending on how you look at it, they're also being okay. Big Chinese online media, gaming, internet, and retail names have soared. So Alibaba, Baidu, Tencent, Sina, all the stock we talk about, all up big. Big names in China's mainland market have also fared well. This is the mainland. One ETF that tracks the 300 largest stocks on the mainland, ASHR is the symbol there, also up 32% so far this year. But look below those big names. The picture's not quite as rosy. The Shanghai Exchange, made up of the older industrial bank stocks that are largely government-owned, only up 7% this year. The Shenzhen Exchange, which is younger, more entrepreneurial, much smaller companies, actually is down 3%. The Shenzhen has had a particularly rough month, down more than 5%. What's going on? Well, there's worry that the Chinese authorities are going to start cracking down on everything from real estate lending to stock trading. Lately, regulators have been cracking down on these wealth management products. They're Many small Chinese investors own them. What they do is these wealth management products are annuity-like investments, and they're bought by banks, uh, from the banks, that seem to offer a guaranteed return. But last week's China's regulators announced they'd ban institutions from guaranteeing against any of these losses. So this is likely going to push more money into China's mutual fund industry in the long run. That's good news. But right now, investors are concerned about stricter regulations right across the board. The bottom line... China, like the U.S., is evolving into many different markets. And, Melissa, remember, when you're buying these ETFs, there's a currency effect. And because the dollar's been weaker, the ETFs are 5 6 7% stronger this year. You've got to take that into effect, the currency. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Bassani. So um, we've got to go to the ambassador. Is this a sweet trade that has turned sour, Tim? Mm. Well, I tell you, if, if there was a fortune cookie out there, that would be the best way to do it. Because you – no. I, the, the, the CSI 300, the Shenzhen, is not how you gauge the Chinese market. First of all, I think it's very manipulated on the way up. You can make an argument that as we went into the People's Congress, uh, the government or whoever tries to make sure everything's going okay, made sure that the stock market ran. The FXI, which I think is more indicative, which is also the big Chinese banks, which are very cheap here, and also things like uh, Tencent, et cetera, mm -hmm. is down 2.5% off the highs, kind of just like emerging markets before they snap back over the last couple of days. So to me, all those people that are trying to game China and make a big call on when this debt market overwhelms them have been losing the trade over and over again. Consumption in China is growing. I think you have better peg ratios, so better growth with relative to their, their, their PE and the big cap Chinese names than the ones here. So for me, like the layperson, if I do want to have some exposure, to EEM gets a lot of it done. I think it's about 25% or so China. I think 10% of it is 
Tencent and Alibaba. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to own it for a long time. It, it's not that volatile because it's so diverse. Right. And so, yeah. Baba has been a monster. Yeah. It, this, that's the way I play this. I, I'm in Alibaba, and I'm going to continue to be in Alibaba. Price targets across the street are above 200, around the 210. I think is average 210. I, I'm staying in long because it is a play on China. It, you do have to have the stomach for the ups and downs to everything China-related. This is the way they play. This, this is a proxy to China and EEM, but Alibaba, I think you have a lot of road ahead of you that's much higher. Well, against 180, I think Steve's right in terms of Alibaba. And I'll point out, we talked about this the other night, you know, Chinese 10-year rates are now either side of 4%. I don't, know, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's happened somewhat quickly, and one has to wonder if they're going to start to sort of put the brakes on a little bit. Mm. Seemingly, that's happening. Again, the market doesn't seem to care. But in terms of Baba, 180, I think, is your line in the sand. All right, let's stick with China. The FXI falling more than 1% in the past week. One trader's betting on more pain ahead. Mike goes in Austin to break down all the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So we did see above average put volume in FXI today, and that was largely the result of a large put spread that was purchased. The Feb 47.43 put spread was purchased for $1.50. Over 11,000 of those traded earlier today and over 12,000 by the close. So a buyer of that put spread is making a bet that it will be below that $47 strike by at least the $1.50 that they paid and maybe as low as that lower 43 strike. So that's basically a downside move that they would be anticipating of about 4 to 9 percent within the next 80 days. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe in Austin, Texas, for us. For more Options Action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Buffalo Wild Wings surging today after Arby's said it would acquire the popular beer and wing spot for more than $2 billion. So who will be the next fast food combo? Our traders have got some clues. Plus, another day, another record for Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency now flirting with $10,000. We'll tell you how much higher some see it going. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Regal Cinema. Let's get to Seema Modi in the newsroom. Hey, Seema. Hey, Melissa. Regal Entertainment confirming it has been approached by Cena World for a possible all-cash acquisition at a price of $23 a share. Cena World is the UK-based cinema operator, and Regal says that no agreement has been reached, but they are currently engaged in discussions with Cena World. Uh, shares of Regal, as you can see, up almost 8% here and was already up about 6% in early trade or when, when the stock market was open. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Seema. And when um, the reports of these talks were out, we did see the um, movie theater chains across the board move higher in today's session, AMC, um, Cinemark, for instance. Right. Well, this one, I mean, now, so it's 21. I, I don't know that I would play this. It came from 16 before it clearly it leaked. from 14, I mean, even. Maybe. Was, yeah, but with was, the market, it turned. But I don't know. Either, okay, it came from much lower, yeah. Yeah. and it was clearly leaked because for the last five days, I guess the story spread around. So the risk-reward from the stock here at 21, I don't know. I'm so concerned about the industry at large, though, right. that um, it's not a place I want to It's almost an existential question for this industry as well. I mean, we're talking yes. about that concerning media companies, for this sector of entertainment, even more so, who goes to the theaters when you can sit at home, stream for your whole family, and order takeout? Yeah, well, again, if, if, if theaters are a distribution outlet, and, and certainly that's the, been the play, they, they are certainly falling out of favor pretty darn quickly, and distribution is becoming even more aggressive with the biggest players in the world. Agree with Karen. I don't think you need to be there. All right. Speaking of the uh, restaurant space and takeout, the restaurant space sizzling today in the back of Arby's acquisition of Buffalo Wild Wings. Kate Rogers got the latest from 30 Rock. Hey, Kate. 
Hi, I'm Melissa. Arby's owned by private equity firm Rourke Capital announced this morning a $2.9 billion deal, including debt, to buy Buffalo Wild Wings for $157 a share. That is expected to close in the first quarter of 2018. Now, the chain has been struggling with slowing foot traffic and combating higher wing prices, and its CEO Sally Smith was set to step down by the end of the year. Now, Arby's CEO Paul Brown, who Rourke brought in several years ago to turn that brand around, will be CEO of both companies. Wendy's also also rallied today on the news as the company retained a stake in Arby's back when it sold to Rourke in 2011. So who might be the next takeover target? Casual dining names have been struggling, making them attractive for potential buyouts. Analysts say names like Noodles and Company and Zoe's Kitchen with smaller market caps and challenges with consumers may be on the radar next. Another beaten down name, Cheesecake Factory, which has fallen nearly 25% for the year, could make sense as a future acquisition, although it is a riskier move given its exposure to malls, which will we all know have been struggling for foot traffic as consumer behaviors change. BJ's restaurant group, also down 15% for the year, has been floated. There's also been talk about two more deals that won't seem to go away in the restaurant space. First, JAB Holding Company, which owns Panera, as well as Caribou Coffee and Keurig, eyeing Dunkin' Donuts, and Apollo Global Management, potentially bidding for Qdoba Mexican Eats. Jack in the Box, which owns Qdoba, has a Q4 update on Thursday, where we may learn some more details on that. And one more name that has analysts split as a possible acquisition target is, of course, Chipotle. That stock is down over 25% year-to-date. Melissa, back over to you. All right. Thank you, Kate Rogers from 30 Rock. With the Arby's and Buffalo Wild Wings deal fueling speculation about the other takeouts in the fast casual space, haha, takeouts, we thought we'd play a little matchmaker with our traders. Each of our traders will pick two names who they think could make the perfect match. So we start here with Tim. Well, it starts to me with another takeover candidate, which I think is Dine Equity. So this is DIN is the ticker. This is Applebee's and IHOP. I think this company is as on its heels as, as it's been on the half of uh, down from about 90 to 40 bucks. I think Tim Hortons or QSR, it's known as Tim Hortons in Canada, but they have over 100 countries and 20,000 locations. It's a big balance sheet. They could make an acquisition like this, like that. And I think they could revive this struggling brand. Karen? Yes. Well, the Apollo picks? deal for Qdoba was sort of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And... Del Taco, Ticker Taco, which I love, I think could be a match. There are some geographic overlap, some not. Would give them more power to buy avocados, which, as we know, that was a very expensive headwind that CMG and many others faced this year, truly, as well as some labor pressures. That's not abating. Maybe the avocado situation has gotten a lot better. But I, I like it uh, standalone without any takeover expectation, but it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. What have we come to in this world talking about pa- avocado pricing power? It's important <laughs> it to them. It is very though. important, extremely Somebody's going to invent that avocado thing so it doesn't turn brown nine seconds after you make your guacamole. You make, you she makes fantastic you. guacamole. That's the only reason for guacamole. Lime juice. I mean, those yeah. things go bad so quickly, you got to make guac right away. That's a good point by you. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Grasso, you're pairing? So I'm pairing Texas Roadhouse, which is a name that we don't often talk about. It's up 2% year to date. And another name that's a smaller market cap, it's called Chewy's. It's authentic Mexican food. I think that they would make a nice pair off. Texas has the footprint. They have the same type of unit costs. Great management team. I think both of them would pair up nicely. Roadhouse was a great movie with Patrick Swayze. Uh, 100%. One of his best. Be nice. Right boot. Right boot. Right boot. boot. All right, sorry. Sorry. History tends to repeat itself, Mel. Back in 06, there was a company called OSI Restaurant Partners. Bain Capital, if you recall, bought them, spun the whole thing around, went back public as what? Bloomin' Brands. Yes. Languished recently the stock, but Jana Partners just said they put an investment in that name. So who's the... It's 
It's private equity and Bloomin' Brands. Why? Because Outback Steakhouse, which I haven't been to in years, that business seems to be improving. Love that. Now you that. have bonefish on the bottom. You have other. No. Exactly. Shrimp on the bottom. So I'm telling you, love that. maybe history will repeat itself again. This will go private and reemerge in some sort of capacity. Bloomin' Brands. All right, still ahead. The countdown is on for Bitcoin futures, and it is the talk of the town on Wall Street. Even the incoming Fed chair has got something to say about it. We'll bring you those comments when Fast Money returns. From our standpoint, cryptocurrencies are something we monitor very carefully. We actually look at blockchain as something that may have significant applications in the in the wholesale payments part of the economy, mm -hmm. something we pay close attention to. That was Fed Chair nominee Jerome Powell speaking about how he is closely watching the big moves in cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin hovering near that $10,000 level today as Wall Street gets ready for the big debut um, when it starts uh, trading futures on the CME. So, um, We'll turn to you, Grasso. You follow this space very closely. What are you hearing from clients? So everyone likes to think that they understand Bitcoin, and very, very few people do. A person like BK understands Bitcoin. But most of the clientele that I cover, and these are very savvy institutions, mutual funds, pension funds, hedge funds, they don't really understand it yet. So they like the fact that they'll be able to trade it because they're not otherwise trading it now. So it gives them the ability to trade it. Let me play devil's advocate. Do they, is, is it that they don't understand it or is it they don't like they, the risks attached to it? I'm sure they, they, they both can. can't. Or they, or they can't can. in their mandate yeah. Yeah. own Bitcoin. So I think they have the ability to trade futures, which, which allows you to sort of take out a lot of the volatility in it. But when you start trading futures, also, the exchanges, which we've had them on the show, will say to you that they're going to be able to adjust margin requirements. And whenever you do that, you don't know what happens there. So that's an untold story. That could take the fluff out of it. Novogratz had a good point yesterday, and it depends on it will depend on the liquidity, right, of the futures contracts when it starts trading. So in the beginning, it could be very lumpy in terms right. of what happens with that product. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting though. I have a Bitcoin position. I'm right. taking a lot of money off the table, but I'm going to let the rest ride. It's, I looked back at the the internet bubble. Mm -hmm. That chart looks adorable compared to <laughs> the Bitcoin chart. So you got to be ready for a. Super wild ride. Adorable. Adorable. Nice That's it's so nice, next. actually. Final trade. <laughs> Final trade, Tim. Retail's made a break. XRT going higher. Karen? I like Golar. It's up 26% in the last month, but I wouldn't buy it on that. It shouldn't have been there in the first place. Earnings on Thursday. Steve? Pulte Holmes building profits every day. Pulte. Dollar Gen, Melms. All right. Thanks, Guy. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.